Hey, welcome to the Band Advice Podcast, the Matt and Mark Show, where we're going to sit around and talk about music stuff, because that's what we do, and we do it quite well, don't we, Mr. Matt? Well, that depends on who you ask, I guess. Well, we'll see. We'll see how many <laughs> thumbs up we get from these videos and stuff, right? Yeah. But we're sure having a good time doing it. Uh, <laughs> yep, definitely, definitely. So, well, got any gigs coming up? Man, I'm I'm trying to recover from this horrible explosion that I was oh, involved yes. in. I, I I broke my pinky finger on my fretting hand in four places. Oh man! And so I've been in this splint since October or November the first, right around there. And so you know, I, I just like it's just been torturous for me to. I mean, you know, live music and playing—that's how I make you know most of my living—is mm-hmm. doing that. And so it's been really hard and frustrating because you know usually right around the holidays you know i'm always picking up some christmas parties or whatever it is you know and it's a good chance to you know kind of get out there and play some different stuff i wasn't able to do that this year and so it's like that's been really frustrating you know i mean roy clark died and then i saw generation x and Mm -hmm. i was like I went home and I'm uh-huh. like, man, I just want to burn the paint off one of them. Was that for, not an awesome show? Oh my, man, I was like, you know, I've been watching those four guys for their whole, you know, my whole awareness oh, sure. of music, you uh-huh. know, and it's like, man, that was so good. And the way they did it was just so good. Yeah. It was just like, you know, there's, uh, that was uh, seriously one of the best shows I've ever seen. Yeah. I was right down on the floor. And when, when Zach came by and put his knuckles up for me, it's like, I just knew you had to be jealous because it could be. And then Steve Vai walked about as close as you are yeah. to me. It's like, I've seen Vi a couple of times, man. And both times he's walked right by me. It's like, this is cool. Yeah. <laughs> man, I'm, when I met him, I met him in Los Angeles and, uh, Vi? Yeah. Oh, man. And I, I, you know, my, my new guy. It was at the Nam, <laughs> at Nam show. Uh, one of my friends uh, knows him. They played together and stuff. And, so I was hanging with him, and we saw Steve, and he was talking to Steve, and it was like listening to them talk was like <laughs> listening to a couple of aliens, you know. <laughs> and then when he when I when I shook his hand, it was like you know shaking hands with an alien. Yeah, he has just yeah. real long fingers, and he does. Man, he's just like that's the guy. He's up there in the super guitarist. Oh know? sure. There's there's good and there's great, and then there's the super right. great. So what do you think, Vi or Satriani? Of course, for those that don't know, Steve Vai did take guitar lessons from Satriani at the get-go, but I think the uh, the student soon became the master. Yeah, I got to say Vai's got, yeah. Vai's got all those guys yeah. in the terms of songwriting and mm-hmm. just like, I mean, it goes without saying. He's just technical. He's mastered the instrument. Nice. And, you know, as far as songwriting goes, I always kind of thought Vai's just, you know, Mm-hmm. There's Vi, and then there's everything else, <laughs> you know, because a lot of those guys are great shredders, but they just didn't have the songs. Right, you, know? you got to have a melody of some sorts, and and the shredding fills in between there. That's it's cool mm-hmm. and all that, and that's this attracts a certain audience. But I just feel like you know, as far as the super guitarist, anybody like that, you know, I wouldn't say like to me, shredder kind of is a negative connotation to me. Yeah, yeah, because it's just about how many notes can you pack in there right. in a certain amount of time. Right. I, I think that was one of the things that kind of turned me off about Ingve when I was earlier on too. It's just like, okay, there's a lot going on here. Now, granted, now that I'm a lot more uh, up to a, and, and knowing more music theory and stuff, it's like I see the genius behind it. But when you're a 15 year old kid going, man, it's a lot of notes, and I'm never going to touch it. Well, and there was, <laughs> um, but and still, you when you realize, you know. 
you don't have to play everything you know and every single thing, you true, know? And true. I mean, I can, I can watch guys like that and I can be like, okay, you know, that's overplaying. That's mm-hmm. over. Ingbe is an over, he overplays regularly. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't feel that when I saw Vi. Yeah. I felt Vi has got a leash on everything he's doing. Mm-hmm. He's not overplaying. He's putting a lot of notes in. Mm-hmm. He's putting a lot of changes in. He's using a lot of techniques. But I don't feel like Vi was overplaying. Right. I felt like there was times that Ingbe was overplaying. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's cool, I guess, to a certain audience. And, you know, the audience is that go to those shows or go to any shows, they're not doing this all the time. Right. So anything sounds good to them. And, you know, when you study it all the time, you have a different viewpoint. Sure. But, you know, Ingve is Ingve and he's famous for being Ingve. Yeah, he, some of the stuff he did is definitely groundbreaking. I'm, I'm going to give him that. It's just, and I have nothing against him. Anybody don't forward this on with any sort of hate mail. So, no, no. I mean, I, I have, utmost respect for him it just wasn't my cup of tea at the time where vi was and mm-hmm. you know i remember seeing crossroads and when he did that that paganini like uh during the duel scene it's oh like, yeah i still try to warm up to it and i've i've gotten to about two-thirds the speed of what he is and one yeah. of these days when i when i'm t- totally liberal i'll hit every single note perfectly and it'll probably never happen again <laughs> yeah it's still a lot of fun i, I was thinking about I've, I've sat down with that his 12 hour guitar workout several times over the years just trying to make Okay, this guy did this every day uh-huh. for years. Yes. Okay, this is what it's going to take to get you know yes. these things into your fingers. And I, I mean, it's not like you got to try to be like these guys. You got to just take a little bit from one, a little bit from another, and make it you, man. Yeah. And that's what those guys got that not a lot of the people that followed in their wake do. Right. They are them, undisputedly, unashamedly. They are them. Mm-hmm. And you know, copycats are only second or third best. Sure. And so, I mean, okay, I can I can show you a little solos that say, hey, you know, this is off of this album of mine, a song of mine, and here's this little kind of counterpunctual thing that I got from listening to Ingve, but it's really he got listening to Paganini. Yeah. He got it listening to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And you know, I always kind of thought of him as not really necessarily a rock musician, but a classical musician mm-hmm. who uses rock instruments. Yep. yep. Really, that's the truth. And so, uh, you know, that show was so good. And I, you know, I came home and I was like, man, I just want to play. But, you know, I've had a couple months here to kind of think about different different ways of approaching it. You know, I've been playing live since, oh, probably in the 80s sometime, you know, ch- school dances, scout <laughs> things, church functions. I played. What was that song that you used to like to play? Uh, Firehouse, Love of a Lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> you told me that that one time. It's yeah. like, okay, I'm just not. I'm gonna just save that for the appropriate time to <laughs> jar you a little bit. Well, you know, all, all those. Right. Uh, it just that's, depends on hey, what it is. That was our know? genre: '80s hair bands. Yeah. That's what we grew up on. So, I, I mean, '80s hair bands were were that was the thing when we were what? instead of now, which is an 80 year old hairline. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> now those guys are. It's it's just kind of crazy to watch how a lot of those bands they're they're still going, mm-hmm. and, but how they're going. Yeah, yeah. You know, and there's there's very few of them that are that are still like all original members mm-hmm. and you know the the salacious stories of all the things that have befallen them since their heyday is I mean that's really okay, I know the music. I've I, I've listened to the music for years. I know all that, but now it's sort of like, well, what <laughs> what's happening with these guys? What happened to this guy? You know, right. that, that that's pretty interesting stuff. Well, you right? can always tell when when uh Suddenly, it's like the lead singer's names in his version of the band. You know, it's like Jack Russell's uh, 
Great white. Great white. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, what about the other guy's great white? Right. <laughs> you know, because I guess the Mark guy and him split off or whatever. So now you got these two versions. In fact, the company I worked for, we, we were hosting a trade show, and we actually hired Starship to come out and play, but it was Mickey's Starship. Right. So it was just him. <laughs> None yeah. of the other players. And uh, he, they they brought him in, and they put him in this big old stage and there was maybe about 200 people in the room and he's look, looking around and goes, I don't think I'm going to fill this room, but he didn't care because he got his paycheck. And you know, we paid private parties, 20, $20,000 or something. Private like parties are lucrative. I tell you, so, and they worked for him. He got to play yeah. one hour. And when our CEO of our company tried to bring him back up for an encore, they're like, Nope, contract fulfilled. It's like, yeah. Yeah. So interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. So, you know, we were going to talk about gigs, but I'm kind of liking this, this guitar talk a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Yes or no? Is the guitar dead? Hell no. For you, but do you think in the industry right now, is the guitar dead? It depends on what vein you're trying to tap into in the industry. Okay. I mean, I've accepted the fact that anything that's done on guitar that's real is fringe level music now. Okay. It's not the mainstream. Yep. You know, and I don't pay any attention to those charts. I don't pay attention to any of that. It's all, it's all just whatever. Okay. So let's... Is rock guitar dead? No. Okay. We know that country guitar is still going strong. You got Brent Mason, you got uh, Brad Paisley, and Man. you know Wampler making all these pedals for these Serious. guys, and, it, and and Keeley making all these pedals for these guys. It's it's great stuff, and as a guitar player, it's really exciting watching the countryside of it. But I'm not seeing any. Okay, John Mayer. I guess he he's about really. The only one I've seen come out on the rock side and the pop side that was really kind of a notable guitar player. Uh, what about you? Have you seen somebody kind of hit the pop side with his guitar player? Well, I mean, you know, I, when I was teaching, uh, a few of my students, I taught them that song about the daughter or whatever it is. You know, it was just kind of a acoustic, mm-hmm. you know, pop song. Mm-hmm. And then, you know... He's done a lot of other stuff. It's like, you know, the trio with, the, I think it was Dennis Chambers and some other people. You know, it was kind of like Jeff Beckish maybe uh-huh. a little bit, you know, which less of the pop music. So he evolved, you know. And then now he's playing, been playing with the dead. Right. I mean, the, the dead are just, I mean, they're all drawing lines in the sand about this and that. And the other. I'm like, that's never, you know, since Jerry died, it's never really been the Grateful Dead. It's no. carrying on a spirit. Sure. And whoever the players are. Kind of like Queen's doing right now. Right. Too. And, and, you know, whoever the, is the, was carrying on the spirit, that's that's totally up to whatever's going on there. And so I, that's cool. I mean, I'm... Uh, you got to give it to anybody who's out there doing it, who's making people happy, mm-hmm. who's got a... a pretty decent gig you know i mean you got to give it to them they're doing something right right and you know it's easy to sit back and criticize people but you know it's like when you read those horrible comments on about a third of anyone famous's posts sure you're like where's this guy playing let's see what he's doing Mm -hmm. and you're like okay my mom always says consider the source yes (laughs) and that's a great advice it's great advice like okay you go look at this and it's like well i mean Whatever this guy, he he's doing it. He's playing some level, whatever it is. I mean, everybody's got their points, and it's easy to yeah. put it out there now. Yeah. You know, um, I, I think like there's so much great music out there that's not like being force fed in the mainstream uh, thing. I, you just got to look for it. Okay, you just got to look for it. Um, you know, people say rock guitar is dead. That article that came out this year, it's like. You know, I guess if 
you know, uh, you, I, when I went, even, even in LA, when I went there to mix the second album, you know, I went there to try to get that, uh, done. And, you know, in the interim, when I was there, I wanted to go out and hear some music. Well, man, it was hard to find, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just a band like I, I, well, like I'm doing it, just playing at a little club somewhere. Mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, I'd already been and seen the Hollywood thing. I've done that already. But I wanted to just go find a band who was just out there working, out there right. doing it real. And it wasn't that easy to find, even in a place like that, which was so surprising. But, uh, you know, there's, there's places that people are still into music, you know. It's like the, I don't think rock guitar is dead. I think it's just, it's out here on the fringes. Like, you know, rap used to be on the fringe. Sure, sure. You know, everything... <clears throat> kind of has its too. yeah. So. It kind of has its day, and and a lot of times it depends on where you are. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, it depends on like you know if you're in a major city now. I mean, it's just like everywhere else. If you're in some of the places outside major cities, they're they're just not quite as used to seeing five things to do every night. You know, mm -hmm. superstar names to go see all the time, mm -hmm. and so they have a little bit different appreciation of what's happening what's going on you know um i think that you know uh there's so many great players out there that are doing it right now and they're not famous they're not rich they're not well known but they've got a core group of fans mm -hmm. that will show up and see them in 50 u.s cities at venues of whatever size and they're able to you know, keep on going and doing, doing their art. You know, yeah. that's what I really had to come to in the last 20 years is like, look, am I doing this to just be famous and rich? I, I could be doing something else. Sure. It'd sure. be a lot easier. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm just doing it because I love the music and mm -hmm. I love the way it makes me able to communicate things that I really can't communicate by talking, you know? And so I think there's always going to be, you know, a certain segment of the audience that appreciates and understands that. And they're going to be able to see through all the, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. fake kind of stuff that's geared for 14-year-old girls, you know. Sure. sure. Not there's anything wrong no, with being a 14-year-old no, girl. No, not at all. Just, I just would not look good as one. No. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I would be a failure trying to play music that, that would entertain them. Right. Exactly. So... Unless, you know, the, one, the thing I've noticed about gigging, too, is like, you know, when you play a, a song that's familiar to people, it conjures up these feelings. Sure does. And it can either conjure up good feelings or bad feelings, you know. And when somebody, you know, comes up to you with tears in their eyes and they say, you know, my dad used to play that on L LP when I was a little girl. Mm -hmm. or, I was a little boy. My dad loved this and da, da, da. And, you know, you're, you're plucking that, you know, emotional thing. And it's like, that's what music really is there for is you know yeah no, i get that man because like you know, I, currently i play in my church every sunday and a lot of times it's electric sometimes it's acoustic and mm. every now and then they let me sing yeah yeah and there's a one song by david crowder that i did and it's all my hope is in jesus and i sang that song and my wife was crying she's like yeah. it just moved the entire congregation that much it's like that's what music's about yeah and that's why i do it and i often said you know if i could just write that one song and i can just play it in front of a auditorium full of people and just touch every one of those people with it. Yeah. I could fall over dead right after that. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, that didn't happen after I played that song yeah, at good. church. Cause good. you know, I was kind of worried, you know, I said that and what's going to happen, but no, right. it's just, that's <laughs> to me, that's what it's about. So you have fame. What is I, fame? What is fame? I just, I want my music to be heard. Uh, where you and I, 
have a little bit of difference is that you make your, your living doing this. So mm-hmm. you definitely want to see a little bit of return on your investment. Me, I'm kind of okay with just watching you know, the Spotify plays going on and not seeing anything on sales on iTunes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just having your stuff heard is is that's it's cool. So yeah, and, and appreciated and respected. Everybody yeah. everybody wants that, you yeah. know. But at the same time, that's not really the reason I do it. Because I'm telling you, when you're out there on the road and you've had a rough trip or a rough gig or rough whatever, you got to ask yourself. You know, why am I here? Why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Nobody in this <laughs> vicinity <laughs> seems to care at all and close to what I care about uh, what I'm doing here. Why am I doing it? Right. So you get, after all, I've probably, I think, I, I think uh, I've played at 14 states and I've done about 1,850 gigs wow. in, in, in 20 years. Jeez. And so I've had a lot of times, you know, not every show is sold out over the top crazy. In fact, <laughs> most of them aren't sold out <laughs> over the top and crazy. They're, you know, yeah. you just never know what you're going to get. And you have to figure out, why am I doing this? Right. Okay, well, there's nobody here tonight. Well, I'm, you know, I'm here playing music. That's what I'm here for. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's when you kind of get into, okay, well, you know, at a club, they're they're into the music, sort of. Right. But really, in all actuality, they're in a different business than we are. Yep. They are in the alcohol business. They're that is the, true. They're in the social business. They're, they're in the job of slinging drinks, not promoting your music. Exactly. So And so that's what you kind of have to understand and realize is like, you know, nothing against cocktail waitresses, but you can't really leave your promotion of your music career into the hands of a cocktail waitress. That is true. She's a cocktail waitress, yep. not a music promoter. Right. Not a talent buyer. Not, you know, it's... You got to understand that. And once you do understand that, then it becomes a lot mm-hmm. easier. You know, that's... that's a interesting point uh and i know you and i have said it and hear a lot of people say you know this town doesn't cater to original music or this this club doesn't you know there's no club owners that care about music and all that kind of stuff and you're right they don't for the most part they don't they just they want you to you are there to bring people in put butts in the seat and watch that cash go across the bar now every now and then you get somebody like the cbgb what was tilly I forget I what his name, his name was. was too. Somebody it was the labor of love, but that right. that didn't start out as a punk rock. No, it did not. It was venue. bluegrass. Yeah. And then then the promoter came in, says, "Try this band," and it just blew up. And he he tashed, uh, jumped on the bandwagon, followed it, and really got into that whole punk scene. But the thing was, is he was a horrible businessman. From you know, I watched the movie the other day. It's like he just the money was coming in and it was going out faster than it was coming in because he wasn't a businessman. He enjoyed being the, the, the promoter, the, the, yeah. the pr- proprietor. And of there's the a certain, club, you so. know, there's a certain romanticism about that, you know, man. Cause when, like I figured it out and I've seen it in my career and the time I've been playing, I mean, the business, the business gets in the way. Yeah. It gets in the way. And, and you know, just the unbridled freedom of like, somebody asked me the other day, like, what's your most favorite gig you've ever played? <laughs> And I'm like, well, you know, I mean, they're all good in one way or another. But I'll tell you, my the most fun that I have is is when I know and that no one can hear me. <laughs> That's the most fun when I have playing is when I know no one can hear me. Mm. So I can completely just let my hair down, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> What's left of it, <laughs> and uh, you know, just do whatever I want. Sure. Now, you know, yeah, sure, it's great to be playing with known artists it's great to be playing bigger places it's great to be making money it's great to do that but you know it all comes down to it you really got to do it because you love the music right so bar gigs a necessary evil especially in situations of people trying to make a living doing this stuff Mm -hmm. but 
it's not nobody's getting discovered in bars anymore i mean the sunset strip thing's gone so what would be the next step how would you advise the next generation they got to get out there get their music heard and having happened on pandora may not happen so you got to get yourself in front promote your own show promote your own show so you did that one time uh in fact, mm-hmm. I think I emceed it or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you're the MC. Over at the, the venue shrine, or I guess it was just called a shrine back then. But mm. So tell me how, how that, what was the genesis of that, and what, how would you rate the success of that? Well, that was years ago, you know, and so I was just, I kind of had an inkling about that, you know, in the beginning, and all these years later, and all this more more gigs later, I've, I've really got, you know, that's that's the answer. Mm-hmm. The answer is, Okay, in my town, there's nowhere to play this genre of music. Well, think outside the box. Okay. Think outside the box and realize that, you know, the bar scene in any city is just a very small sliver mm-hmm. of the people who are actually um, potential audience members for your music. And, you know, here in Tulsa, it seems like to me, you know, you go to a show at the BOK Center. And those aren't the people that I see um, at neighborhood bars, really. No. There's some of them, but, uh, you know, I've even had conversations with some of these people I've known for years, and they're like, well, I don't like something about going to bars. I don't like the police. I don't like the way the <laughs> bands are presented. I don't like the sound. It's just something. And so they're like, you know, I would rather spend my money going to see something that I know that is going to be great. That makes sense. And I'm comfortable there, and there's no smoking, and et cetera, et cetera. They all have their reasons why. But, you know, I'm like, when you, uh, you're playing to a certain audience when you're just playing in bars. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, you can't be anything under 21. That excludes a lot of people that have a potential to be supporters of your music. Sure, sure. You know, and as fringe level as what I do is now. I still think there's 14-year-old kid or 15-year-old kid or 20-year-old kid who, you know, they've been listening to their uncle's Led Zeppelin albums. Or they've been checking mm-hmm. it out on YouTube. and Kid that also doesn't believe the guitar is dead. Yeah, and, they, and, they, and you know, they're want, they want to see something like yeah. this, you know. And so you got to, uh, I just feel like promoting your own show is the, is the way to go, you know. Yeah. yeah. And I've watched people that are really successful at, you know, genres of music that, you know, they, Joe Bonamassa is immensely successful. Mm-hmm. For whatever you think of him or his music, he is immensely successful Absolutely. at a genre of music that I guarantee you every major label would have turned him down. Yeah. Well, he's got the last laugh because he's making way more money mm-hmm. than anybody ever could have thought of on a major label. And he's doing it all himself. He's with got his that one team. business partner and, yeah. they, and he, the business partner handles all that stuff. He does the music. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's kind of like a 50, 50 deal. And it's Joe Bonamass enterprises with this guy's. Yeah. Issues. And then, you know, they got the, the caveman, Kevin, the caveman, Shirley, that does the recording. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like a real well-oiled machine. That's, you know, very successful out of, you know, what would his other option have been? Maybe he got signed to a, you know, uh, an alligator records or something like that. And I mean, Stevie Ray Vaughan's of the world. Well, those play. guys do okay, but I mean, they're they're you're not near the success level as Bonamassa, right. you know. And so, it's not just music; it's marketing too, sure. you know. And I hate to think of it, but I mean, that's just the way it goes. Well, he's it's, definitely got his marketing down. Remember when we saw him play? Yeah, at the Oklahoma or was a Tulsa. Uh, barbecue, yeah, was that, was that Mohawk Park? Mohawk Park is uh, Bloodline was the band, right? Mm-hmm. Man. <laughs> 
that little kid came walking by. I'm like, no way. And then he started shredding. It's like, whoa. Yeah. Because he, he couldn't have been 15 at the time, I uh, think. Yeah, I think. That's when he's going by Smoking Joe. It was like the 90, 94 or something like that, I think. And the Bloodline, that album had come out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Camo D played that quite a lot. And so I was driving at the time a lot. And I heard that on, on the radio a lot. And I was like, man, what is this? Oh, it's got Barry Oakley Jr. in it. Yeah. Oh, it's got Waylon Krieger in it. Oh, man. And this this little hotshot from New York. I mean, this is just, <laughs> no, I liked the music first. Yeah, and I good. went and saw that. And I, I mean, sad to say, though, remember all the people that were watching the Stevie Ray Vaughan impersonator? They were all like over on this mm-hmm. other stage watching him. Yeah. And we're watching this, you know all-star band and you know i I just it's strange how things are but yeah yeah you know he uh kept on going kept on evolving and kept on doing it but even he said himself he said the night that i turned professional was the night that i started booking my own shows there you go you know him and his parents rented out a vfw hall and he sold tickets for ten dollars to his teachers and his friends and (laughs) you know that's the night he turned professional well that's the way kid rock kind of got started too man he's uh you know, he didn't do the bar scene and stuff like that. He slept in a studio and bought his time. And he, but once or twice a year, he'd go on and put on a show and he'd finance or get somebody to help finance it. But it was his show. Mm-hmm. He pounded the pavement. He'd hired interns, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically hired these college kids and gave them a, a jacket or something like that. And they'd do the street team thing and all, and just put on this event. Yeah. And it was immensely successful because people were going there to see that. They weren't going to yeah. hang out with their friends and try to pick up chicks or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, and they weren't so. there accidentally. Right. right. Yeah. They were there intentionally. There's so. a difference. Yeah. There's a huge difference. Oh, absolutely. In the perception of the person, mm-hmm. there's a huge difference. Sure. And so that's one thing it took me a long time to realize, too, because it's not, it's not like the song by Boston Rock and Roll Band. It's not like that. No. Nobody that I know that's gotten a major label deal ever got signed like that. It never <laughs> happened like that for them. Those maybe in the seventies, maybe in the sixties. Yeah. Maybe that was true then. Maybe a few people, but Boston you know, story is kind of unique anyway. There, so. there, there's, you know, <laughs> mythology and all of this. And sure. Some of it gets a little bit distorted over time, but I, I just don't feel like yeah. I used to think the more you played, the better off you were and the better you were and the more chance you got to, you know, get a chance to get in a deal of some kind. But then I started to realize that's not really true. No. That's not true at all. No. In fact, if you're playing all the time in a city like Tulsa, I think you're going to have a real hard time mm-hmm. drawing anyone to come see you. Mm-hmm. That's and I think we encountered some of that t- towards the, the end of our, our stint. I know I was getting kind of frustrated because it's like, okay, we're just doing the same stuff. I wanted to try new things, but we just didn't have the time. Mm. And uh, you know, we hit, I hit burnout really bad. And uh, so, in fact, <laughs> I remember when I knew it was time to take a break. We were getting ready to go to the gig. I think it was probably over at Crow Creek or something. And I flipped on the TV and it was an episode of Friends <laughs> that I'd seen six or seven times before. And I remember looking at the clock and I was pissed because I wasn't going to be able to watch the rest of the episode because I had to go play music. It's like, whoa. Yeah. It is time to beg off. So we, we did that Christmas party. You know, you and I had a nice long heart to heart and yeah. decided we were going to take a little break. And, you know, you went your way. I ended up getting married and having kids. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it... it here we are again, though, still 26 years later, talking music. and Man, you know, one thing I've it, realized man. is, you know, my friendships with people, I don't have a lot of what I consider close friends, but I have the quality over the quantity. Sure. Yeah. And a lot of my friends I've known for 25, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I may not talk to them every day. We may not talk all the time, but, you know, I'm still, we're still friends, yep. you know? Absolutely. And so that means more to me than just be like, okay, you know, I, 
a thousand friends on Facebook. Whoop de doo. I mean, do you know? Do you know every one of those people? No, I don't. I don't. I'd like to, but I don't. There's some of them I rather I I want to ditch off of there. Yeah, because you you start seeing some of their posts like really, but I keep them because I'm using them because I want them to listen to my music. Yeah, Uh, my true friends know who who they are. It's it's some of the others that are you know you're there because maybe you listen to my song. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe. Cool. So you promoted that gig that one time. Success, not a success. You know, I I can't even. Let's see. You had about four bands with you, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So we it was like a, a you know it was a guarantee versus the door, and so you know when when you're sitting there and you're like, okay, uh, the first weekend of the month is always what I call the mortgage lifter weekend. <laughs> so that means you know you stack them up as deep as you can get mm-hmm. the first weekend of the month, and so that that didn't really qualify as, as one of those that qualified as you know we're going to try to get uh as many people down here as we can because they really want to hear us mm-hmm. not like people accidentally that are just going to be here because it's 2 miles from their house or sure. around the corner from their house they've got to make a concerted effort to get down here mm-hmm. and to pay the entry fee and at the time there wasn't a lot of clubs in Tulsa that were charging a cover charge mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that my rationale behind it was, you know, the other bands promote and everybody promotes and everybody wins. That's what this should be about is everybody Mm -hmm. winning. You know, uh, you've seen that little meme about the, you know, there's like a pallet of cash and these two people are like, okay, well, we still got to give the band a hundred bucks, huh? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's a pallet of cash and they're like lamenting and giving the band the money. See, this way. You sink or swim on your own. Right. And so, you know, you, you, yeah. you're responsible for all the successes and for all the failures. Mm-hmm. Whereas at all these times playing clubs, I, I didn't feel like that was always true. Mm-hmm. I felt like, okay. You play for the door and they keep letting all their buddies in right. for free. And then like they, the... they say, okay, well, all these, all these regulars come in for free. And I was like, well, not if our deal is right. a guarantee versus the door, they don't get in for free. Because mm-hmm. they're going to come in and drink. You're going to make your money. Mm-hmm. Now, why can't I make mine? Sure. And then that's where the fight starts. And it's like a lot of these people just, well, like I said, they're not in the music business. Mm-hmm. They're in the alcohol business. And, and I can't fault them for wanting something as cheap as elite, cheaply as they can get it. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I'm not going to go in there and just work for them for nothing just because I like their business and mm-hmm. like them. There's a million bars, there's a million places to play. And, you know, you, you just got to find, find some that are on the same page. And thankfully I've been able to do that uh, from time to time. Mm-hmm. Other times it's just, you know, you're just like, I don't even get mad anymore. And now I'm just <laughs> like, well, all right. <laughs> yeah. I know how that goes. I'm, I've met six of these people in the last 40 years, just like, you know, this mm-hmm. person's attitude and their mindset is. And, you know, going down the road, there's other places, you know, and they probably yeah. won't make it anyway. I mean, it's true. The, the life bar turnover cycle, is pretty, pretty quick. The life cycle of a club is, you know, it's, it's pretty short. Yeah. And I think the whole idea of a successful one is keeping it short. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody wants to own Cheers or some long-standing step. No, you don't. You really don't. You get in there, build it up, and sell it off. Yeah. You, know, just you get in there and sell just throw it underground and, you know, make it and get out. Yeah, well, we've seen enough of those kind of bar owners in this town. You know, the guys that open up this club and that club get as many people in the first couple of weeks, and then people show up to work the next day, and it's shut down, and the kitchen sink's gone. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, yeah. 
And then somehow that guy's able to open up another bar because he had his brother-in-law sign for it. It's, it's crazy. a crazy it's business, a, man. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, just, just another keeping the focus. To stay home. <laughs> yeah, just realizing, like, you know, it's evolving. Now it's evolving. You know, when I first started playing and you first started playing music to, you know, go out, out and play, and there wasn't 500 channels of television and all these choices and all these mm-hmm. demands on your time, effort, energy, and finances. Now it's like you're competing with a lot of things. Yeah. You know, I've read the figures of, like, you know, the gaming industry alone. Oh, I mean, man, it was tenfold what the music industry was. So, you know, it's just like, you know, the, the scraps are getting scrappier every, yeah. every year because yeah. there's so many other things to be involved True. in. You know, it's like. WWW, 10 times better things to do. Thing, man, right? I'm telling Crazy. you. And so, you know, you're just kind of having to realize that it's a changing world and you have to involve with it. But that's the one thing I have learned in all these years and all these thousands of gigs of playing is, Promote your own show. Yep. Okay. Very cool. So you have any plans on promoting a show anytime soon? Well, like I said, man, I'm I'm still trying to get to where I can actually play yeah. my usual stuff. And, uh, you know, I had a few things happen this year that, you know, a couple years ago, my bass player and sort of spiritual guide, he passed away. Right. That was Ace, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, he, he died. And so... You know, I've had sort of a strange year. I was thinking about it on the way over here. I was like, you know, I've played a lot of different places and a lot of different formats and, you know, done solo gigs, done band gigs, mm-hmm. you know, just picking up a rhythm section when you need one. You know, that's kind of fun. It's like when you're in a band that's, you know, worked all working all the time, it's like, you know, you're in a marriage, basically. Mm-hmm. And so you can go from doing that and, you know, you're click along really good, you know, get tight, getting good and getting a good repertoire built up. But then, you know, when all that goes away, then you have to do it differently. So that means you got to be able to have a repertoire that you can just call two guys up at four or five o'clock in the afternoon and know that we can, we can make something good out of this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a different skill level of that than, sure. than other stuff. And so, uh, you know, I've had a little, little break here and thinking about what what's next and you know obviously is keep recording keep doing keep doing what i can on the website and all this other stuff but maybe you know, even do podcasts yeah maybe <laughs> even do podcasts and you know uh just trying to go forward but i'll be in a different way in a different right. capacity with a different mindset and kind of like different expectations you know yeah so that's kind of like i guess the answer in a nutshell what's coming up but yeah promoting shows is the way to go all right very good all right, well, I guess that's about it for today on, on the subject of bars and guitars and promoting your own shows and all that kind of stuff. Lots of stuff. So, hey, thanks for ch- tuning in uh, to the Band Advice podcast. Matt and Mark and our wonderful journey of musicianship. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm just going to come up with a different name for every one of these things, right? <laughs> Why not, right? So, hey, be sure to check us out on our, our uh, YouTube channel and uh you know, drop a couple bucks in the Patreon bucket if you so desire. And, you know, thumbs up are always appreciated. So, till next time, peace. <laughs>